Time to express yourself. Where teens talk and the world listens. Presented by Star Style Productions as an international outreach program of Be the Star You Are charity. You'll rock to an hour of adolescent fusion with your teen hosts and on-air reporters. Meet and chat with cool celebrities, exhilarating experts, and tenacious teens with subjects regarding anything and everything that you want to know. It's time to kick off the fun with our star teens. Welcome to Express Yourself. Education is the passport to the future. For tomorrow belongs to those who prepare for it today, Malcolm X. Hello and welcome to Express Yourself. We're a program by, for, and with creative young people. A platform to give teens a voice, right here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. From Cynthia Bryan, producer of Express Yourself and Star Style Productions, we bring this program to the airwaves as an outreach service of the Be The Star You Are charity, a top nonprofit honored by GuideStar and great nonprofits. For today's show, Be the Star You Are wants to thank everyone who has volunteered and supported BTSYA over the years. We are thrilled to be serving the world. If you'd like to help us celebrate being a top nonprofit with a donation, please visit www.btsya.com. Every dollar counts, and we will use the funds for our outreach programs. Make sure to listen to Express Yourself. Wherever you listen to radio or music, iTunes, Amazon, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, and more. We broadcast from the Empowerment Channel on Voice America Radio, the largest radio network in the world. Hello, I'm Ruhani, co-hosting this show today. Hi, I'm Chelsea, and I'm also co-hosting this show today for the first time. I'm so excited. Before we start the program, we want to announce that Be The Star You Are charity is entering the metaverse. By purchasing an NFT from www.starstylecommunity.com, you will be donating to Be The Star You Are. Each NFT is based on a character from Cynthia Bryan's new children's book, No Barnyard Bullies, which is illustrated by Jensen Russell. These NFTs are like baseball trading cards of yours. Check out the roadmap for upcoming events just for Star Style community members where exclusive experiences are part of the package. It's going to be super fun. Jump into the metaverse and buy our NFTs at www.starstylecommunity.com. And today's show is all about college applications and what college counselors look for. In the second segment, we'll be talking to Dr. Don Martin, a renowned college admissions counselor who was actually the former dean at multiple universities. In segment three, I'll be sharing some of my experience as a college applicant. And right now, Kirthi will be talking about debate with her segment, Nerd Extraordinaire. Hello, hi, it's me, Tiki. Ooh, I'm so excited. Hi, I'm Kirthi. Oh, oh, wait, y'all didn't know that. I'm Kirthi, and I'm coming to you from my debate and fiction writing segment, Nerd Extraordinaire, as a host for the first time. Yep, I still haven't gotten over that. Now, for those of you who are wondering where British Chelsea is, she went to Luxembourg with her assistant, Thackeray. Thackeray mailed me a giant poker card for some reason. wonder what that's all about. And if you're wondering how he fits card, fit a card the size of a hubcap into an envelope, 
he didn't mail it inside an envelope. No, priority shipping, first class, giant box. I was half convinced that they were hiding inside the box, waiting to scare the wits out of me. And I was wondering if they could get any weirder. Spoiler alert, they did. Imagine my confusion when I opened the box to see a giant poker card. We're going to the premiere of Dogs the Musical 2. Luke, I'm your papa. And British Truth is planning to broadcast a sneak peek at Dogs the Musical 3. Powder one, don't go to the bark side. I'm planning on checking it out, maybe carting myself off to Luxembourg for a spontaneous vacay to see if it's really all that. British Cuthie is actually going to be starring in another musical called Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Bone, which is about a magical King Charles Spaniel named Harry Potter who found, who found out that he's a wizard and makes friends with two other dogs named Ron Fleasley and Gurmine Granger. You know, these musicals British Cuthie stars in sound awfully familiar. Hmm, that's curious. I bet you can tell that I'm having a lot of fun creating these musical titles. Wait, what? Who said that? I'm not creating these titles. Nah, not, not creating these titles. Definitely not. I'm going to start off by saying that I am 13 years old. I'm in 8th grade. Yeah, yeah, and you half of you guys are like, <gasps> you're in 8th grade? Now, what could I possibly tell you about college admissions, which is this show's topic? And the answer is... Dun, dun, dun! Absolutely nothing. Yeah, I don't know anything about college applications and PhDs and undergraduates and whatnot. Sorry. Yeah, I won't be of any use. That's it for this segment, guys. Make sure you stay tuned. Wait, 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 wait. Let's just slow down for a second. Okay, I don't know anything about college admissions, but I can help you get ready to go to college. And you might be wondering how this 13-year-old's going to do that. Okay, well, I should have rephrased that sentence because prodigies exist. And you might be wondering how this not-prodigy 13-year-old who's at a corresponding education level is going to do that. This not-prodigy 13-year-old who's at a corresponding education level is also a debate aficionado. Not guilty. Today we're going to talk about a debate style primarily used in college called spontaneous argumentation, also abbreviated as SPAR. This isn't a completely college style. People in grade school do it too. But if you want to start debating and you're going into college soon, it's an awesome style to start with and hit the ground running once you become an adult who goes to school. Spoiler debate is essentially what it sounds like. Spoiling. Spoiling is the stuff they do in karate and taekwondo and whatnot when they kick at each other wearing the weird white helmets. Hey, I remember my old martial arts teacher would say that we were spoiling like robots. You know those, like, little people robots they make fight against each other? Like, bloop, 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 bleh. Yeah, that. What was I talking about again? Spoiling in debate. So, spoil is basically spoiling without the whole kicking and punching and hiyahing. It resembles this kind of jousting of, like, combating moves that opponents make towards each other, but with arguments and words. Spoiler debate is probably the scariest debate style because it's impromptu. But it's also the one style that will help you develop your debating skills the best. Now, remember the whole robots thing. In debate, you don't want to spoil like a robot. When I say spoil like a robot, I mean kind of listlessly, unenthusiastically jabbing at your opponent while recycling the same argument over and over again, which will do absolutely nothing but annoy everyone in the room. Spoiler debate is a style with two debaters who develop a basic structure for their argument within the prep time they are given. 
Just like a normal debate, it consists of cases, cross-examinations, counter-arguments, and closing statements. Now, spoiler debate is a little loosey-goosey. The time limits for each round vary on whoever's hosting the tournament or what college you go to, so it's going to be different for everyone. Here's the basic average format. Affirmative case, which is three minutes, and then after that, there's the cross-examination of the affirmative, which is one and a half minutes. After that, there's the negative case, three minutes, and cross-examination of the negative, one and a half minutes, again. Negative counter-arguments, which and affirmative counter-arguments. They're each two minutes, and a negative closing statement, and affirmative closing statement, which are also each two minutes. Most of this stuff I already covered in the back-to-school episode while I was explaining public forum debate. So I'm just going to give an overview, and make sure you listen to that episode, too, if you need a deeper explanation. The affirmative speech will support the resolution and affirm it. If the topic was dogs are better than cats in the affirmative speech, the first speaker will be advocating for dogs. The negative speaker will do the opposite, supporting cats. So basically, these are called cases. They're basically the main speeches, which say why your your side is so awesome, awesome, while why your argument is correct. Now, in the counter-arguments called rebuttals, each side focuses on why the opponent is wrong. The cases or constructive speeches are supporting your side, while the rebuttals say why your opponent should not be supported. The closing statements summarize basically the whole debate. They summarize all of your awesome point and summarize why your opponent's points don't even come close to your argument's awesomeness. The cross-examinations are the real arguing parts of the debate, where rebuttals are developed. The debaters ask each other, ask each other questions, and if the opponent is not able to justify or validate or advocate for the side, or even answer the question properly, this is an advantage to you. You get to brag about this in your rebuttal. The class X's also help you find holes in your opponent's argument better than you would if you were just listening to the case alone. CX's are scary, but they do make your life easier. Now, all of this is also in public forum debate. So what's the difference between spar and other debate styles? I did mention in a previous show that debate resolutions or topics are normally academic, serious. A debate topic in a tournament is probably going to be like Turkey should not be a part of the North Atlantic Treaty Organization rather than turkeys are better than chickens. But spar is an exception to this. Spar can have fun topics too because of the main unique factor that spar has to it, which we will get to right now, I guess. Spar can have fun topics because spar debate is defined as impromptu debate, which means that you don't even know what the resolution is before you walk into the tournament room. You only get to know the resolution like 10 minutes before you start debating, before a spar topic needs to be one that doesn't require a whole lot of research. Like, Turkey should not be a part of the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. That, that, that requires a lot of research, but turkeys are better than chickens. That doesn't, you know, most people know what a turkey is and what a chicken is. That's why it's called spur because it's so spontaneous, spontaneous argumentation. So one thing that I would recommend not doing when you're doing when you're doing spoiler debate is kind of not brain dumping like say that you're in a class examination with your opponent and your opponent is basically say talking about one thing but you want to talk about a completely different thing because you've got such a good argument in, in your head but this is just going to confuse 
everyone, and I highly recommend not doing it. Also, Spar debate focuses on presentation and delivery and speaker style, and and the six main types of debate. There's a lot of debate in college. College is also called higher education. Also, the mitochondria powerhouse of the cell. Well, I'm I'm really being a hypocrite. Dive into Spar debate so you can be six steps ahead of everyone else in your college debate journey. Wow, Kirti, that was so interesting. And what are some other things you shouldn't do in spar debate? Um, first of all, you shouldn't be too aggressive because you can come off to the judge as very aggressive, like you're fighting. You shouldn't be fighting. Um, versatility, you should be versatile. You should be able to argue at every side of the argument. Spontaneity, spontaneousness. You know what? I'm just going to say the act of being spontaneous. Even if you get prep time, spoiler debate tests your ability to create arguments and comebacks on the spot, and it always keeps you on your toes with absolutely no time to spare. That prep time should be mostly used to get evidence, not create arguments. Bad delivery is also another thing you shouldn't do, since the technically spontaneity isn't a thing you shouldn't do. It's a thing you should do, but whatever. It's my segment, so shush. Okay, so you shouldn't have bad delivery since there's no deep research and stats and spars. It heavily relies on both the arguments you deliver and how you deliver. You want to have good delivery. Now, one of these techniques could be, like, talking louder. Of course, I'm not telling you to shout like this, but keep, keep your tone at a good audible volume. Also, show that you're confident and don't act like you're leading off a script. Put emotion into your words. Also, maybe put on a British accent sounds fancy. I thought you were Luxembourg, British Kirsty. Wow, that was so fun. And that's it for this segment. But make sure you stay tuned for our next segment, where we will be interviewing Dr. Don Martin, admissions counselor. Be the star you are. Light up the flame that burns. Make a world of difference in a world of differences when you support Be the Star You Are 501c3, a literacy and positive media charity dedicated to empowering women, families, and youth. Visit bethestaryouare.org to make a tax deductible donation today. Everyone counts. Donate today. bethestaryouare.org. Be the lucky star you Are you a teen interested in becoming a radio personality? The Positive Message Outreach Program of Be The Star You Are Charity trains dedicated young people to be reporters and hosts on Express Yourself Teen Radio. Visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com for information. That's ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Don't forget to tune in to Express Yourself Tuesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Kids, where teens talk and the world listens. The star you are, light up the flame that burns. Low literacy and poor communication skills have been identified in studies as major contributors to general conduct disorders, psychiatric disorders, criminal behavior, and adolescent suicide. To live and prosper in this society, we must be lifelong learners with access to knowledge and skills that can sustain our lives at work, at home, and in our communities. Be the Star You Are 501c3 charity has been working to increase literacy and improve positive message programming since 1999. 
You can help by making a tax-deductible donation today. Visit www.bethestarur.org. Everybody counts. www.bethestarur.org. Be the lucky star you You're listening to Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids channel, where teens talk and the world listens. Express Yourself is produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Now, back to our star teens. Hello, and welcome back to Express Yourself. I'm your co-host, Kyothi. And I'm your other host, Ruhani. Right now, I'll be introducing Dr. Don Martin. Dr. Martin has spent 28 years in graduate enrollments and student services. He was the Dean of Admissions slash Financial Aid and Dean of Students at Columbia University, the University of Chicago, Northwestern University, and Whedon College in Illinois. He earned his master's degree in 1983 and his PhD in 1995. He also wrote and published Roadmap for Graduate Study, a guide for prospective graduates and students in 2008, with the second edition coming out in 2018. He's coached over 600 undergraduate and graduate school applicants in the past 14 years with a 97% acceptance rate and over $16 million in scholarship funding. Welcome to the show, Dr. Martin. Thank you, Juhani. It's great to be here with you. Yes, and I had the pleasure of talking to you last year. Um, we did talk about college <laughs> applications then, but um, now that I'm a senior in the process of applying, I feel like this conversation <laughs> we're about to have is going to be very productive. And I Well, just that wanted... sounds good to me, and congratulations <laughs> on being in the class of 2023. Yes, I'm so excited. It's great being a senior, and right now I'm also an applicant. So I wanted to give you some background about me, um, how it's going. And Okay, that sounds good. Yeah, and basically for my entire high school career, I've focused a lot on creative writing. I've maxed out my extracurriculars and awards for it. I've been published in the New York Times. I've written for a lot of my school magazines. I've presented my poetry in prestigious festivals to represent Be The Star You Are, and I'd say I'm pretty accomplished in what I want to major in, which, again, is creative writing. And my grades have been pretty good. Um, Not perfect. I go to a very competitive high school where STEM is the main focus. And I kind of struggled Mm. in two math classes. So I guess the question I have is when colleges see an application like mine, where there's just, like, devotion to one craft, but it's not as academically pristine, what do you expect the response to be like? And do you think it depends on the college? That's a very good question. And I guess I would say that most undergraduate admissions committees, actually, and graduate admissions committees for that matter, tend to take what I would call a holistic approach to the evaluation of applicants. They are not looking for 
what I would say would be a cookie-cutter individual. They're not Mm -hmm. looking for an incoming class of clones who are all the same in terms of their major, their backgrounds, their passions, their beliefs, their values, their activities, what they are, what they academically love. There typically is a very nice mixture. I don't like to use the word diversity because it just gets, I think, overused too much. But that said, there's a, there's a large mix of students that come into the freshman class of any university every year. So in your case, Juhani, with your expertise in creative writing and maybe a little less of one in a STEM subject, even if that happens to be more of the focus of your high school, that doesn't mean the admissions committee is going to hold any of that against you. They're going to look at what you have to share with them about your passion for this field, your accomplishments up to the point that you've applied, both inside and outside the classroom. By the way, a 4.0 GPA is, is nice. I'm not, I'm not uh, diminishing that in any way, but that is not the that is again not the foregone conclusion of getting admitted. That's not the that's not the sole determinant of an admission decision by any stretch. When I was at Columbia, at Wheaton, at Northwestern, at the University of Chicago, the range of academic scores or grades was quite large. There was not one specific in most cases, a minimum or or required GPA or test score to get into any of the programs I represented. So to me, your best approach is to put your best foot forward, share your passion, share how you became so fascinated by and interested in. We need more creative writers in this world. We, we, We really do. So you are not at a disadvantage in any way, in my opinion, based on your major based on the fact that the high school you attended may not be as focused on that major as others, and based on the fact that you may not have an absolute straight-A average. Well, that is so great to hear and very relieving. I've heard, like, so many mixed (laughs) opinions, but obviously you would know it better than anyone else. And I actually have a very specific question. Um, It's about Columbia which you have a lot of experience in. Obviously, you were the dean. And Columbia has been a dream school of mine since I was Kirthi's age. I was 13 when I wanted to go to Columbia. But Uh, lately, I've been really into Brown because of their open curriculum, which is, you know, when you practically choose all the classes you want to take. And I'm not too sure about Columbia's core curriculum. So could you maybe explain the advantages and the benefits of it? I believe what you're asking me to talk about, Druhani, could be the fact that Columbia offers more of a core curriculum versus Brown, which offers the open yes. curriculum. And mm-hmm. my response is that both of these are outstanding options and very viable options, and it really depends on the student. If It sounds to me like initially – when you were beginning your college search or at, you know, back a few years ago, maybe when you were in eighth or ninth grade and you were starting to just think about this and decide, okay, here are some institutions I might want to attend. Columbia was, was a little higher on the list. And then as you continue to grow and mature into your high school years and you started thinking about it a little bit more and you started looking at some other options, Brown came onto the radar screen with a different approach of how you 
uh, arrange or organize your curriculum. And that's the beauty of these different types of opportunities, because no two students are exactly alike. Some students may be a little more comfortable with a set curriculum, certainly in the first two years where pretty much everything is spelled out. And this is, this is our, this is our core curriculum. This is our foundation courses that we want you to have. Others would, would like to have a little more freedom to kind of pick and choose and, and focus in certain areas at their discretion and based on their freedom to do that. So really, Either one of these is extremely viable. You're not going to go wrong with either one. Here again, it it sounds like you're doing exactly what you should be. You, there's a big word that I talk about when I talk about admissions and, and the application process, and that's the word research. It mm-hmm. is the biggest mistake applicants make every every single year, whether they're in high school aspiring to college or whether they're in college or recently graduated or out of college aspiring to graduate school. The biggest mistake you can make is not doing adequate research before you apply. You sound like you're doing that. You are. You were thinking about one option, and then this other option kind of came into your awareness and you came into your knowledge base on college options college options. That's exactly where you want to be. And here again, you you are not going to be at a disadvantage should you end up pursuing grad school down the road, whether you took a core, a pro, you were enrolled in a university with a core curriculum, or you were enrolled in an institution with an open one. Either either of those options is, is very viable. That is also great to hear. And it's just so amazing to see how many institutions are out there to benefit you at the end of the day. This is for obviously (laughs) your education and it's very important to research. And, you know, a great place to research is obviously your book. I mean, we're talking to Dr. Don Martin, (laughs) author and college admissions dean. So everyone who's listening, make sure to pick up a copy of his book, Roadmap for Graduate Study, a Guide for Prospective Students, um, visit www.gradschoolroadmap.com. And I found a lot of your stuff very helpful and this conversation very helpful so far. I thank you for that wonderful plug for the book. And if I may just add one thing, Druhani, some of the book obviously is a little more focused on the graduate application process. But Mm -hmm. when we get down to it, the process of applying for college or graduate school isn't all that different. There are, there are very similar components of an application for a bachelor's degree program and a master's degree program, i.e. transcripts, test scores, letters of recommendation, essays, possibly interviews. There's the, the components of the applications are similar. Now, when we, when we talk, excuse me, when we talk about the doctoral level, that, that is a little different. But in terms of what's in my book, I'm not trying to put undue pressure on anyone to go out and buy it, but I, I will say the principles, chapter one is all about the research process, and that you can apply that as a high school student or as a college student or college graduate. There's really, same with the second chapter, which is all about the application process. The third chapter is all about how to succeed once you're there. So it is applicable to a large audience. Exactly. And I feel like a lot of people don't understand how important the research part of it is. I think 
we have like all our faith on these institutions we've heard of since we were really little. But like, you know, in my case with Columbia, I loved it so yes. much and I still do. But, you know, now that I've discovered Brown and its open curriculum, I feel like it's it suits me a lot more. And another thing I like about this process is the fact that you can write essays and you can express yourself and show that you're more than just, you know, some statistic that they're seeing on a piece of paper. Yep. And um, I just was wondering, how can you really prepare for the best essays and avoid cliche essay topics, you know, like a big sports game and then an injury, you know, things like that? That's a wonderful question. And I'm about to share a tip for how to succeed as an applicant and, and do the best you can. That may sound so simplistic. When I say this, sometimes students push back and say, Dr. Don, are you serious? That's you're really serious with me right now? This is your best advice? And it is. And it's two words. Above all, be, well, that's not the two words. Excuse me. <laughs> Here come the two words. Be yourself. Please do not feel, in my opinion, undergraduate and graduate admissions representatives often do applicants a disservice by getting out there and claiming that in order to be admitted to their institution, you almost feel like you have to be someone you're not, or you have to stay. They always use this word, stand out. We want you to stand out. Well, in my life and experience, the people who stand out to me the most are those who initially I come to trust and believe are authentic. And while none of us are psychologists, or or many of us are not psychologists, typically, uh, Kirthi, for instance, Kirthi is is in, I believe, Kirthi, did I get this right? Is it eighth grade right now? Yes. Okay. And um, Jahani, I'm so sorry, you are in your senior year. I'm a little older. (laughs) Whatever the age, whatever the, the place you are in your life, when all of us get together with a group of people, let's say we go to a social event, we go to a, an athletic event, a concert, a party, a, a dance, a, a prom, whatever it may be, and we're in company with some folks that we've never met before, and we start observing them as we would do as human beings. You start, you know, maybe they're talking with you, you're, you're looking at them, and you get the impression that one of these individuals is a complete fake. You just, there's something in you, in your inner voice says, this person is not on the level. I don't, they're, they sound so fake. And when that happens to you, now you could be wrong, but oftentimes we can, people have good antenna, they have good radar. And you can tell when somebody's trying to pull, pull something over on you or just acting very strangely. When that happens, for most people, what is the reaction? Do you want to go up to them and say, oh, let's have a cup of coffee. I really want to get to know you better. No, you you back off and you start hanging around other people that don't come across that way. Admissions folks are not psychic either, but after meeting with thousands of students, hundreds of students every year, and going through application process after application process, you begin to get a sense when someone is trying to be who they are not. And when that happens, that absolutely tanks your application. Oscar Wilde, the famous philosopher, has a quote that I love. I say this so often. Be yourself. Everyone else is already taken. And that is so true. So 
back to your question, Juhani. Let's say you did have a terrible event happen in your life that has shaped you. Then you, mm-hmm. if, if, the, if the situation is appropriate, if they're, depending on how they ask you to write an essay, what they ask you to prepare, if that's part of your history, by all means, you should uh, comment on that. But if you don't, that's okay, too. And it right. is not so much what we say as how we say it. We each have, Kirthi has her voice. You have your voice. I have mine. Uh, Cynthia has hers. We all have our own voice. And when you use that and you stick to that and you're true to yourself, I'm telling you, it shows. So to me, other, other than that, of course, answer the questions you're asked. Stick within the page limit. Make sure your essays are checked for grammar and spelling and so forth. And by all means, make sure you send the right essay to the right university. <laughs> uh, some some students they rush or they they they'll send like in your case uh, uh, you might send an essay to to Brown that you intended to send to Columbia. Of course, you you want to try that that happens occasionally and it, it's not the kiss of death. But you you want to be careful that you're doing all those things right. But bottom line, let them see who you are. Honestly, it you you can tell when someone is doing that, and that will help your application. That is such great advice, and I agree with you. It's so important to be, you know, unapologetically authentic. And I feel like yes. you can tell the difference between someone who's faking it in their application and someone who's not. Like your analogy of, you know, meeting someone and telling their telling like they're a phony. Like you wouldn't want to talk to them, you know. So I love That's that right. um, comparison. And I actually have another more technical question since this process All is right. very overwhelming. Um, how can you best keep track of your applications, including the deadlines, which, you know, are coming soon? The early decision deadline is in two or three yeah. weeks. <laughs> you know what? That's right. I think it's November 1st. Yeah, um, November 1st. <laughs> so uh, that's a great question. And in my book, which I will only, I, that's the last time I'm going to say anything about my book. I'm not, I'm not trying to overly plug it by any means, I promise. But that said, one of the ways I believe to best track your whole process of research and applying is to use a spreadsheet or two. When you get to the point that you're that you're you know where you're going to apply, you've made the decision. Okay, here are the five, six, or seven, or ten, whatever it may be, institutions to which I'm going to apply. What I mm-hmm. believe can be helpful to you is to create an application spreadsheet and. Put the institutions, however, maybe you could put them in the order of their deadlines. That if you have a November 1st deadline, a December 1st, January, whatever it may be, put, put that down. And then whether you keep a calendar on your, your, your uh, cell phone or whether you keep a calendar on paper in a, in a schedule book, those dates should be placed on that calendar. I would suggest at least a week. In other words, if you have a November 1st deadline, probably Mm -hmm. October 24th is when you put that on your calendar. I've got a deadline coming up on November 1st. And and then the other thing you can do is time this out so that there are typically five components of, of an application. 
and this is in no particular order, but in some cases you're asked to upload a resume. So that's the first. The second is your grades and test scores. The third is information about your recommenders. The fourth are your essays. And the fifth is what I call busy work. This is the place where you have to go in and write your name, address, all of this demographic kind of information. So knowing you have those basic five components, what I believe you can do is say to yourself, all right, if I have a deadline on November 1st, maybe what I'll do is go in on a Saturday or a day when I, or a Sunday, and I'll upload my resume to all of the applications that ask that. I'll then upload my transcript and test scores to all of my applications. Check that box off. Then I'll upload the, these, these, these areas of, of uploading resumes, uploading transcripts, test scores, providing information on recommenders. Doesn't, it's busy work, but it doesn't take that long. You could do that conceivably in one afternoon. Those three things you could get off to check, check them off. Then you're down to the part that might take a little longer, which is your name, address. Now, if you're, if you're in high school and you're applying through the common application, thankfully, you'll only have to do that once. But in grad school, you'll probably have to do it more than once. But anyway, you, you get that done. And then the strategy I believe can be helpful to applicants is to leave time at the end to spend on your essays, at least a month if you can, a good month to work on those essays and get so that and you and by doing that, you know that everything else is done. All the other parts of that application have been uploaded or, or written in or filled in. And then it's your essays and you're ready to submit. So that's a long answer to your question, Johanny, but that's, that's what no, I recommend. It's so helpful. And this is the reason why I want to plug your book for you. And I think everyone should go to www.gradschoolroadmap.com to find Dr. Don Martin's book, Roadmap for Graduate Study, A Guide for You're very kind. No, it can really make a difference in your life. You know, like I'm applying right now and it's so, I'm so grateful to have your authentic, caring and great advice and having you on the show right now. So thank you again. And um, you are another- most welcome. <laughs> Thank you. And another question I had is, you know, like it's talked about a lot lately. It is about standardized testing and how yes. important it is. So I personally, I am not the strongest um, standardized tester. And what do you think, how detrimental do you think it is for an applicant if they can't maybe get a 1600 or a 1500 on their SAT? I'm going to say something here that might, for some that would be listening to this program when, when they hear this, could bother them, but I'm, I'm going to be honest. This is a personal opinion and a professional opinion. I have yet to ever meet anyone who is success, ultimately successful in life because they had a 1600 SAT score. <laughs> I, I have yet to, to see that correlated. Now, I'm not suggesting that these tests may not provide some information about a student's abilities, but it's true that many students are very intelligent, very capable, very accomplished, extremely motivated, would make outstanding college students or will make outstanding college students. But they are not some there's there's something about standardized tests that doesn't go well with their 
makeup. It has nothing to do with anything other than, you know, some folks never have to open a book to study for a standardized test and they get a perfect score. Others do tutoring. They sign up for classes. They spend months preparing and they, it, it just, it just eludes them. So all of this to say, obviously, if, if testing is a bit more of a challenge for you as an applicant, I suggest taking the test at least twice, just so that you're demonstrating by doing that, that you realize this particular part of your application might not be your strongest. And then if given an opportunity with an optional essay from one of the institutions you're considering, usually they'll ask, is there something else you'd like to tell us about your application that you haven't told us so far? If you, if you oh, get, a, yeah. uh, get that opportunity, that's the place that you, you don't want to make excuses. You don't, you're, you're not pitying yourself now. You're just saying, I, I, on, I am not the best test taker. I prepared. I took the test twice. This, this, I believe I did my best, but I also hope that all of the rest of my application will also be seriously considered. And the last thing I'll say is, if there are institutions out there and they actually would deny an applicant or would not read the rest of the application because a test score doesn't meet their requirement, Juhani, they are absolutely not worth your time. If they if if they equate your value as a human being, your worth as an applicant, with a test score, uh, that would offend me highly. That that would be offensive to me. I am not a number. I am right. a human being. So exactly. if if any institution is telling you we have minimum requirements or we have you must score at least this before we'll look at your application, I they're not worth your time. They are absolutely not worth your time. So that's my, I, I feel very strongly about that, as you probably have just discovered. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm totally with you on that one. And this is such a great conversation, Dr. Dom, but we need to take a quick break. But would you be willing okay. to stay with us for just one more segment, as this is such I a will, critical conversation? I will absolutely so stay with you for one more segment. I'll, I'll uh, hang tight. The star you are, light up the flame that burns. Make a world of difference in a world of differences when you support Be the Star You Are 501c3, a literacy and positive media charity dedicated to empowering women, families, and youth. Visit bethestarur.org to make a tax deductible donation today. Everyone counts. Donate today. Be the star you are. org. Be the lucky star you Are you a teen interested in becoming a radio personality? The Positive Message Outreach Program of Be The Star You Are Charity trains dedicated young people to be reporters and hosts on Express Yourself Teen Radio. Visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com for information. That's ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Don't forget to tune in to Express Yourself Tuesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Kids, where teens talk and the world listens. Star you are, light up the flame 
that burns. Low literacy and poor communication skills have been identified in studies as major contributors to general conduct disorders, psychiatric disorders, criminal behavior, and adolescent suicide. To live and prosper in this society, we must be lifelong learners with access to knowledge and skills that can sustain our lives at work, at home, and in our communities. Be the star you are. 501c3 Charity has been working to increase literacy and improve positive message programming since 1999. You can help by making a tax-deductible donation today. Visit www.bethestarur.org. Everybody counts. www.bethestarur.org. Be the lucky star you You're listening to Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids channel, where teens talk and the world listens. Express Yourself is produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Now, back to our star teens. Hello, and welcome back to Express Yourself. Today's show is all about college applications. Today we're interviewing Dr. Don, and because he is such a great guest and his advice is so helpful, and we're all enjoying this conversation, so let's continue it. You can tell that he really knows his stuff. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, so as you as you know, I am an eighth grader, so... How do you think that as an eighth grader, how can I help myself, like, kind of hit the ground running for college apps? I know it's like four years early. It's a little bit too early. But how do you think I can just kind of boost my college application? Kirthi, that is a, that is truly, again, all of these questions that are wonderful. This is another very good one. And let me I'm going to answer that in two ways. First of all, don't forget that these next four years in high school are going to be some of the most exciting and interesting and life-changing for you. And you, you do want to, to take time to enjoy them. You want to enjoy your high school years, whatever activities you're participating in, what, whatever academic work you're doing. You, you want to enjoy that because you only get one chance to do it. And so... I get a little concerned with high school students who are so concerned about their college entrance that they almost miss out on the moment of their high school education. Now, so that's the one thing I want to say. But the other is that in some ways you you can begin to start thinking about your upcoming undergraduate experience. Really, when you start your ninth grade year, in the fall of, of that, whatever that year is, that you begin ninth grade, when you think about it, in three years, you, will, you, you have three years. Because in the fall of your senior year, you start applying. So you don't, it's not like you wait until your senior year to do all of this. You have, you have three years. You have ninth grade, tenth grade, and eleventh grade. 
Here's what, without sounding like you have to do this exact process, my suggestion is, let's say during your ninth grade year, you might decide to see if your school guidance counselor or guidance office offers any information on early prepping for college, such as do they have some admissions representatives come to campus, and are you allowed to go to one of their presentations to just hear what they have to say? Or do you have, just even through your elementary and junior high school years, have you heard about some schools? Do you have friends or family members who've gone to some universities and you've thought to yourself, well, maybe when the time comes, I might want to go there. You, you, uh, uh, you, you could think about that, and you could say, okay, I'm going to just check them out. I'm not going to spend hours, but I'm going to just check them out. And if you happen to be on a field trip or your family takes a vacation or you happen to be living in the area where one of these institutions are located, I don't believe starting in ninth grade it would be out of order to stop by and visit. But, but the point is you don't want to spend inordinate amounts of time in ninth grade yet thinking about this, but just kind of putting out some feelings. In tenth grade, then you might say, okay, by next year, I'm really going to be in the throes of some heavy-duty research. By next fall in my junior year, I'm going to be probably going on campus visits. I'm going to be talking with admissions folks. I might be visiting. They might be coming to me. I might be going to them. I'm really going to be in the throes of my heavy-duty research. So in 10th grade, I'll start off with, let's say, my strong recommendation is if, you, if you're doing this at this stage, you should be looking at 50 to 100 colleges or universities in the 10th grade, just checking them out. The, one of the biggest, as I said, the biggest mistake prospective students make is they don't do their research. They already pick two or three schools and that's it, or five. You should start off, if you're in 10th grade, you can do this. You start off, you spread the net wide, very wide. And then in 11th grade, you narrow that down. You, you start saying, okay, let's see here. At the start of my junior year, I think I'm going to cut this down. Or maybe in the summer before your junior year, it doesn't have to be any particular time. But you narrow that down maybe to 25. And by the end of your junior year and the summer before your senior year, you narrow it down even further. And then you, you begin working on your application. So that's a very quick bird's eye view of what I recommend. But, but again, keep in mind, please do not overly be processing all of this and obsessing about college to the point that you forget to enjoy those high school years because you only get to do it once. That's my advice. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And I think that your kind of journey through high school that you're mapping out for us is really useful because in the 21st century, we have everything at our fingertips. You know, we have like the internet, yeah. we have Google, we have books, we have like people all around us who can, who, who have their brains filled with information like this, like counselors and all those teachers and principals. So I think that if we utilize our resources, we can really thrive, even if we do it 
early. Like that just gives us an advantage. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. It is. And again, it's, it's a balance. You, you do want to do some work. You want to do some research, which many don't, but not to the exclusion of, of living your life. I totally agree. And, you know, getting stuff done early is always important. For example, letters of recommendation as well. You would want to yes. ask um, your teachers. I think what I did is I asked them um, prior to my junior year ending. And I feel like that was a very good decision because they fill up very quickly. That That is a very that is a very good decision, Druhani. And, and let me, I don't know how much time we have. If, if I have one minute, let me just say, Letters of recommendation can make or break an application because so many of them are not done well. Now, in high school, the guidance offices who are managing this, they generally do a very good job. At the graduate school level, sometimes that doesn't happen. But bottom line, yes, if you have your recommenders lined up, perhaps before you, 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 some people can ask in the fall of their senior year, but I definitely agree with your strategy, Drahani, that you, you took care of this. So you, at least these people knew that you wanted to have them recommend you and had some time to think about that before they actually had to write their letters. That's, that's excellent. Yes. And I was actually curious, what makes a great recommendation? Like what components of the letter would stand out? <laughs> Well, my definition of a good recommender is someone who knows you in two ways, long enough and well enough to write that letter. And for instance, one of the things they need to be able to do, it, when they're asked, they're going to be asked to talk about what are Juhani's strengths? What does she excel in? When they respond to that question, they obviously need to know what they are from their perspective, but they also need to help us understand how they know that. Many recommenders are so glowing about the, the applicant, but they never provide any information as to how did I. Let's say this person says, Druhani is one of the most amazing communicators I've ever known. She could talk to a tree and it would talk back to her. She's that good. <laughs> okay, that's that's wonderful. but. How do you know that? Otherwise, right. it looks like you just said something to sound good. Another example, on a recommendation form, oftentimes is a grid where the recommender is asked to evaluate you on certain character qualities or traits or, or talents like motivation, initiative, intellectual curiosity, interpersonal skills, teamwork ability, integrity, whatever it may be. And there are five ways they can evaluate you. Superior, outstanding, good, fair, and poor. Now, obviously, you don't want a recommender who will evaluate you fairly or poorly, but nor do you want a recommender who's going to evaluate you superior on every single one. That immediately makes you look fake. And we went back, we talked about that earlier. The minute the committee gets an impression that you are, you are not being authentic, that is going to take you down. And furthermore, they're going to be asked what usually what's a weakness. This is not, applicants and recommenders are afraid this is the kiss of death. If they answer that question with, we're, we're not asking to know your deep, dark secrets and somehow major mistakes you've made, but everyone has areas they need to work on. We all do. Some people are exactly. impatient. Some people procrastinate. Some people, whatever. You That needs to be brought out in that recommendation letter. That 
that establishes your credibility as an applicant. Well, that is just so helpful once again. And everything we've just discussed today has helped me so much. And as I'm going through this process, it really helps. It really does. And I hope everyone enjoyed our show today. We loved having Dr. Don Martin as our guest. And again, make sure to check out his book, Roadmap for Graduate (laughs) Study, a guide for prospective students at www.gradschoolroadmap.com. Unfortunately, we are out of time for today's show, but as always, we express our gratitude to Star Style Productions, Cynthia Bryan, Be The Star You Are, and our Voice America Empowerment crew, especially our audio engineer, Josh. Thanks to our guests from across the world, and a huge thank you to our listeners for making us a top-rated program. For more information about the Be The Star You Are charity, visit www.bethestarur.org and find us on Instagram at Express Yourself Radio. College is just another stage of life. Make sure to enjoy it. As always, remember to speak up, speak out, and express yourself. Thank you so much, Dr. Don. You are amazing. Anytime, and good luck to all of those applying this year. Johanna, you better let me know how it goes. I'm rooting for you. Of course. Yay, I'm so happy. (laughs) I'm ready for it to end and to go to college. Thanks for joining us this week on Express Yourself, produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, be sure to visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific time, 3 p.m. Eastern, when teens talk and the world listens on the Voice America Kids channel. Until then, remember to express yourself. Stars to shine between the lines if you would let yourself